Welcome to the Intersection Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about dangerous relationships. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Intersection Podcast. I'm Nick Sweem. And And I'm Robert Grand. And today we're going to be talking about dangerous relationships. You know, that's definitely a loaded topic, right, Robert? Absolutely. Um, Let's start off by, how do you define a dangerous relationship? Okay, that's a very good question, Nick. So dangerous relationships are any relationship that causes harm to another person being, it it could be uh, emotional, physical, it can be, um, you know, maybe in a isolation sense where the person um, gets taken away from their friends and other people that could be a source of uh, objectivity in their lives. And, and these are what abusive people do. You know, that's really interesting because I, I don't know about everyone else, but when I think of dangerous relationships, we think about that physical abuse. You know, that's what hops in our mind. Um, especially, you know, it, it, in my case, I've had family members go through it, but all of those other things sometimes are just as harmful, you know, the, the emotional abuse and the isolation. It's interesting, interesting that you mentioned the isolation. Um, you know, I have some past experience with that and I, at the time, and, and even until recently, you know, going over some of the stuff, didn't really view that as being dangerous. It was just, you know, maybe a little unhealthy, but yeah, right. you know, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, tell us more about how this isolation can affect sure. us. Sure. Well, let me dove, dovetail out to a little bit on emotional abuse and emotional abusers aren't always physically aggressive, but it actually is a really good predictor of physical aggression in a relationship. And it usually has things to do with uh, attachment. Um, Sometimes a person has a very insecure attachment, which creates fear and a person insecurity. And that's usually the root of the problem. So what they do, they're, they're always afraid that the person's going to leave. And so they try to isolate the person from other people Hits uh, maybe insulation or trying to prevent the person from leaving them. It's kind of this preemptive action. And in their own mind, they're just trying to save their own relationship. But in actuality, they're abusing the other person because there's really no secure attachment and no trust in the relationship. Right. That brings me back to... Um you know, those, those 12 laws, the one that, that always really resonates with me is that third one that we, that we're designed for connection, right. you know, that, that connection will result in love that, that we were designed for fellowship. Absolutely. I mean, that's, what's worked so well in all these different areas of healing is, right. is you have that connection. So that insulation, um, yeah, that, that just, that's so detrimental and, right. and that can lead into, I mean, that's, that's really a form of emotional abuse, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. And, and that's one of the biggest problems in those relationships is that the person is deprived of fellowship and they don't have healthy outside information coming in and they slowly decline emotionally and spiritually. And I'm talking about the victim. Now, 
the abuser as well is spiraling downward and becoming less and less healthy because um, chances are they're not seeking outside fellowship either. And both you and I know that, you know, over a period of time, I mean, you put any one of us on an island and we're going to slowly go crazy. So <laughs> it's right. just, yeah, it's not something that's going to be good for any of us. But this is the inherent problem with unsafe or dangerous relationships. And let me take it a little bit further in that, you know, what kind of predisposes a person to these relationships? And going back to the uh, attachment factor, um, you know, people that have secure attachments can release those they love and they, and they trust the fact that, oh, well, yeah, everything will work out well and they'll come back and it's not going to be a big deal. Well, this lurking fear caused in really in early childhood where they weren't, their, their needs were not met properly. It causes a lurking sense of insecurity in relationships with people. It's very, very lasting and it's hard to get through. So yeah, that needs to be taken into consideration. The attachment factor, are you securely attached? Or are you insecurely attached? And so in looking back at your family of origin issues will really, really help you to um, unpack all of that and kind of look at maybe where things happened. So, Right. I think when, when you know, often there's that stereotype when you're thinking about, about childhood trauma and everything, that it's always these, these horrible situations of abuse or violence. Or, but even just that isolation from your parents or your siblings or an early loss mm -hmm. can be really impactful. Not, not in, in the sense that, like I said, there's this horrible stereotype out there that it's, it's, you know, you had to be, be beaten by your father and that's, right. that's what messes you up. But even just not having him around, you know, I mean, I have mm -hmm. some people that I'm close to now that, that say that, you know, it's, it's not this, this overwhelming guiding fear of loss, but just that their, their father worked so much that, you know, they have this this problem where they they want to latch on more, and right. there was that isolation. It's sort of like a low grade thing, right? And right. and I think what you're saying too is that that can affect, um, you know, that can be a, a causal thing where it helps develop people that that create these dangerous relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, the abuser. But we're just talking about the you know that they can be damaged too. But also that you'll latch on to the wrong person, right? Right. You know, because yeah, I, I guess both. What I'm saying is both parties in in this dangerous relationship are damaged and need help. Yeah, there's culpability in both sides of the relationship in that, okay, so here's the natural tendency. Over, um, overly centered, um, others-centered people tend to gravitate towards overly self-centered people. Let me repeat that. I kind of jumbled that up a little bit, but overly... Um, Others-centered people gravitate towards overly self-centered people. And so it starts off with this kind of imbalance in the relationship. In other words, kind of like almost like a codependency right. sort of, uh, you know, tendency versus an addictive or abusive type tendency. Right. So they, they naturally gravitate towards each other. So... I can understand, you know, being able to try to identify this in other people to avoid those traps. But what it really comes down to is self-identification right. and self-realization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the only healing for that is is with that fellowship, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you have that codependency or you have right. that, that attachment issue and fellowship with the Lord. 
Right. I mean, that's that's where it all comes together. Absolutely. You know? And I lived so much of my life in these these caustic, horrible relationships. Um, and that's what it really took was some self-realization, some self-actualization, and some fellowship. Um, so are there always warning signs um, attached prior to that, that physical abuse, you know, that we, that we mentioned briefly at the beginning, you know, yes. that's, that's the, the horrible detrimental one that we all think about, but is there always some of this emotional or this isolational first? Is that a warning? Sign? Right. Yeah. Well, that's probably one of the biggest, um, warning signs is a person trying to isolate you from your family and friends. They don't want that outside influence. And like, a, as I mentioned before, it's, it's created by this insecurity that the other person's going to leave them all the time. And it's a very self-centered endeavor. But there's some other things too, the degradation to try to maintain control over another person. They might say things like, you're worthless or stupid. Objectification, treating the person as an object versus a person. Now, this can happen in sexuality, it can happen for... Uh, monetary purposes. It can happen for emotional purposes. If you're objectifying a person, creating a relationship that where the other person is nothing more than an object of your affection or your validation or for your satisfaction, that's abusive. And, and people need to look at that very, very closely and, uh, and realize that we're all God's children and we need to be treated as such, irregardless of whether their, their natural bent is towards being other-centered or self-centered. And, you know, we're all on the continuum with that. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, in the codependency realm, more other-centered. In the more addictive realm, it can be a mixture of both. You can be um, a vacillator of sorts. And let me explain this. And this can happen in unhealthy, unsafe relationships as well. And so in the attachment realm, so a, a young man or a young woman can grow up in a family where there was intermittent reinforcement. Well, let me explain that. So um, the parents may have been addicts themselves and, and maybe weren't bad people, but periodically they would be absent on a bender, not available. Um, not the children's needs were not met. Well, this causes a person in adulthood to be very sensitive to these triggers in relationships. So they might see a little bit of somebody going just a tad bit sideways, right? You know, and, and maybe it's because they're preoccupied and it really has nothing to do with that. But they'll take that sentiment and take it way too far and become insecure or even angry. Angry, what is this person doing? And they're reliving, they're replaying out their childhood, their drama, which they were raised in, in their early attachment phase of uh, you know their childhood. So that's kind of how that whole process works. Right, and I can see where, where like you said, the, the vacillation back and forth, you know, that, that we're all on this spectrum at some point and that it's not like set in stone either. You know, it's, it's not something, this is, this is the only way that, that I'm going to react because this happened or that happened, but it's something that, that grows with us and changes with us. And sometimes we sort of fixate 
on the, those dark moments, those bad moments, those things that, that we uh, we really don't want to think about. And it's interesting in, in preparing for this and, and studying stuff over the last couple of years, you know, really identifying that in my past, even, mm-hmm. you know, in and, you know, as a man. Right. right. I don't want to think, you know, I was an, I was the abuse, abusee. I was abused in the right, relationship. Right. But realistically, you know, I mean, a lot of people, men and women, go through this. And it's right. not just, you know, once again, we have that stereotype and it's right. fixated on violence and objectification. And, and, and a lot of women do suffer that. Right. And, you know, going through the, uh, the life recovery program with you and, and, uh-huh. and with our local group here, you know, I get exposed and exposed to a lot of that because it's not just about addiction recovery. It's, it's about these, these emotional and traumatic and codependent, um, scars and situations. Absolutely. And it really gave so much insight, you know, cause like I said, I have some close family members that went through this right. and it, it in a way prepared me to understand that it's not just abuse, you know, yeah. it's not just physical abuse. There's so much more. Absolutely. And, and a lot of time that can be even, even more scarring for yes. people. And yes. then also, like I said, identifying in, in the past for me. So how about, how do we move past this? You know, I mean, you, we've talked a little bit about the middle of the road, the back and forth, and, uh-huh. and that's something that just requires some self-actualization and realization. Right. And But what about the, the really traumatic situations? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be caught up in something horrible that happened for the rest of your life. Right, right. Well, you know, there's there's trauma bonding that happens with people and it's it's kind of a weird um, conundrum, if you will, and it's it's emotional in nature. Where a victim um, becomes so reliant upon the other person for their value, for their worth, and so an others-centered person is looking to the self-centered person to reinforce them emotionally. And what they'll invariably do, it's intermittent in nature. And they're trying to condition a person to respond to them um, in attachment. And really, it's abusive in nature. And they don't, many people do not realize what they're doing. And some people do, and they don't care. But for the people who do care, the, the people that are on the continuum and maybe they've had some really, really bad trauma, and they're just really good people, and they're not um, sociopaths or narcissists or anything like that. I mean, we all have narcissistic qualities. Let me just say right. that. That's just being self-centered, right. you know, but some people more than others. So to answer your question directly, in, in trauma, in overcoming trauma, it really does take a uh, interaction with God and fellowship. And see, you know, the, the big lie is, is that all we need to do is rely upon God, which we do 100%, first and foremost. But then people miss step two, which is engage in fellowship. We need fellowship in order to heal, just like James 5.16 says. Right. You know, confess your, your sins, your shortcomings to one another, and will be healed as a result of that. And it goes beyond that even in that, you know, when we're in fellowship, we have a perspective problem in, in our groups with trauma, with addictions, with codependency, with abuse, divorce, depression, anxiety. Invariably in this fallen world, we have a perspective problem. 
So what happens inside the meetings is, is we're, we're connecting with Jesus Christ first, God first. And we acknowledge the fact that this is where the power comes. But we pray in our fellowship to engage the Holy Spirit in this interaction that we have during the meetings. And, and if you'll watch what happens in a fellowship in a 12-step, in a Christian 12-step environment, every single member of that group that speaks, and if you'll watch it closely, has a piece of the puzzle. And when you total it all up in the end of the meeting, you're like, oh my goodness, God worked through all of us and we collectively changed each other's perspective. That's got a, such a healing quality. And we need that on a regular basis because in isolation, just as with the, the abuse and the trauma and many of these things that originated from isolation, from our needs not being met, from not being connected, from not being attached properly, this is the process that happens in Christian 12-step meetings. So that's going to be a big part of that. Yeah, I guess when you really look at it, um, that isolation is a factor in the physical violence, right? Because you feel like you're alone, you're helpless, you're, you, you can't do anything, right? right. That's, that's a form of isolation. The emotional isolation, right, that, that, that sort of you're only latched onto this person for validation or they're trying to force you to only latch onto them for validation. Right. In, in a way, even the abuser is latching onto you for, right. val for value. So it's this isolation factor that, that is in each and every one of these different situations. And I think, you know, the first thing that you find in, in a meeting, um, in some, in a meeting that that's also dealing with trauma and everything right. and, and codependency is you find that you're not isolated, you know, that, it's not just you, not, not to minimize what you went through because everyone goes through something that's unique, but to, to realize that there's other people there that, that understand, that support you, yeah. that will be there, and you start building those connections back because you know the Lord designed us for fellowship. The Lord designed us to, to, to connect together. We need him, but we also need to be in his will, and being in his will is mm. in fellowship. Yes. You know, so, I mean, that's got to be one of the biggest ways to overcome all of this. Absolutely. You know, um, what about, what about counseling situations, you know? Yeah. And that's a really good second step. I mean, it's, it's always a great approach to show up to a Christian 12 step meeting and connect with people and start communicating with people that have gotten to the other side. Right. But what about the counseling piece? Because there are inner workings going on there. Like we talked about with the trauma bonding. And it takes a lot to break that unhealthy bond. I mean, there's extreme pain and anguish that goes on in the victim's mind and also the abuser's mind sometimes because they're dealing with this um, gigantic void of insecurity in relationship. They just, they don't feel worthy. They've been mistreated perhaps. And I think that on the far end of the spectrum where people are, are actually sociopaths or have no, no uh, inclination to connect with other people. Right. Are, just, are, just no empathy. Rare. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're rare. It's very rare. And most people, they're, they're, they fall somewhere in the middle or, you know, to the left or to the right of that continuum. And in those situations... Counseling is going to help them tremendously 
So sitting down with somebody and engaging in soul care where uh, a skilled counselor that understands behavioral, cognitive, uh, emotional um, connection points that understands the behavioral sciences, but also the Bible. And those two things integrated together um, create a very, very vivid picture. And that's where God can move into these situations and not only identify the problem, which psychology does well. I think we can all agree that they typify and identify problems. But now with Jesus Christ at the center, we have the power to overcome these problems. And I think maybe next session, we might be talking a little bit about overcoming those problems. As absolutely. Well. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's a, a really good point um, that the Bible and, and God and, and Christ fit, you know, they dovetail together with counseling. Absolutely. It really does. I mean, and I even had this perspective where like, you know, I, I came to Christ, that's what I needed. And no, there was a lot of things I needed to overcome. You know, I was resistant to, to speaking to a therapist for years after that. Right. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, um, my wife is, is, is doing the, the uh, master uh, MSW right, um, right. from a Christian university. And that was like one of her first questions was, can you find Bible verses that support um, scientific reasoning? And we started looking together, you know, and yes, <laughs> right. it's, it's really there. You know, it, it, the Lord gave us a mind to reason and, and to understand, you know, he created everything that you see here, including our ability to understand his amazing world. Amen. Right. Amen. And, and that's where you need to need to be able to fit it together. They're, yes. they're not in opposition, you know, no, and, not at all. And there's so many, there's so much uh, misconception about that. You know, that, that if I'm going to trust in God, I don't need to trust in a counselor too. No, you, you need someone to talk to. You need right. someone to help you overcome it. Absolutely. You know, and there's, there's, it's an interesting point. You know, it may not be the most, most, uh, um, popular thing for me to say right now, but no, God loves the abuser too. Yes. Right. He does. Yes. God, God wants healing for the abuser too. Absolutely. They need help just as much. Yes. And, and that's something that, that, you know, we need to get out there too. We need to explain too. Right. That oftentimes you have the abuser that suffered at someone other, someone else's hands yeah. as being the, the one who is abused. Yes. And, and that's where you can develop these unhealthy views of the world. Right. And, and that's where you need to unpack that with a counselor. Right. You know, there's some things that even though you're finding the fellowship in, in, in a, a good, like life recovery, 12 step, um, Christian meeting, mm -hmm. there's some things you're not going to say out loud, especially not at first. No, you know, uh -uh. when I went, when I went, went through everything. Yeah. I, I, I didn't think I was going to tell anyone everything because then they'd run screaming, you know, they'd probably call the cops, <laughs> right? right? They'd never talk to me again. Yeah. They, 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 they'd pick me up bodily out of the chair, yeah. throw me out, you know, but when we begin to understand that, no, there's other people that will connect with us for healing. Um, you know, through this, through some trusted friends, developing, you know, developing healthy relationships right. is probably one of the best ways to push back Amen. against, against yes. a dangerous relationship. Good point, Nick. You Good know, point. Um, so how do we, how do we know who to connect with? Yeah. You know? So, you know, sometimes in the beginning, um, when we first connect with fellowship, it's a very vulnerable and um, sensitive time. And that's another reason why counseling is so effective because chances are a counselor has been vetted, has been trained, has gone through some internship, has gone through oversight, different things like this. And so 
there's going to be a greater likelihood that that person's safe. Well, coming out of an unhealthy relationship, an unsafe or dangerous relationship, whether um, you were coined as the abuser or the victim, and it's not always so clear. Let me just say that. Definitely. That that the law has um, kind of polarized things a bit. It's not very objective. And, you know, what they're finding is, is that, honestly, between men and women, it's about 60-40. 60% of the time, females get abused, but about 40% of the time, it's the male being abused. So it's not a me, uh, male-female, um, you know, kind of issue. Right. It's, it's, it's both... And many times it's both of the couples contributing to the problem. Right. And that, I mean, that brings back to that point about vacillation. You know right. I mean? I mean, I, same thing. I look back to when I was younger and, and some dangerous relationships right. I had then where it was like, you know, we're both right there in the middle, sort of gravitating around this, this nexus of where we ought to be balanced and we're not. Yeah. And under bad situations, you know, I was the aggressor under other ones. She was, she was, you know, yeah. and it wasn't just, just about physical, but emotional and all of those things. And coming out of that situation, it's so easy to bring the bad lessons you learned mm-hmm. into your next relationship. Yes. And that's what, that's what the, the, the counseling and the self realization and the time in prayer probably with somebody right. um, really matters because what you don't want to do, you know, once, once you've survived and moved on and you don't want to carry that into what comes next. Right. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships either. Yeah, you know, I right. mean, you don't want to carry that into the way that you teach and, sh- and demonstrate to your children. No, you don't want to uh, carry that into friendships. No, you know, when you start to fix portions of yourself, it's so easy for you to not realize what you're dragging along with. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? So let me just yeah. add to that. And that's such a great point, Nick, in that, you know what? Sometimes we're, we're damaged heavily in the beginning and you're just starting the healing process. So the subconscious mind, you know, we gravitate towards the, what we're comfortable with, what we're used to, what we're familiar with. And it's not necessarily good. Right. So, we, yeah, you know, people talk about having a broken picker, right? <laughs> well, that's the subconscious mind gravitating towards what they knew or experienced from before and that's why you need a counselor or a sponsor somebody with an outside objective opinion to help you to make decisions especially in the beginning because of that natural propensity to go towards those unsafe relationships especially if you've experienced so much isolation right because then then you know say under this scenario you know you have this unhealthy relationship where both of you are gravitating towards the dangerous things and and you get past that but you had all this isolation where all you really had to experience in the world was this this back and forth between good and bad right um that was damaging to both of you right so at that point i mean it's got to be a, an inclination to just jump in to another relationship and then you're dragging all this baggage and all these this predispositions you know and that's just so dangerous yeah so and i, I can see the danger even then you know in a 12-step meeting to latch on to more people mm-hmm. you know we have to realize this is a broken world you right. know this is a fallen world fallen yes right. we need to help each other in a healthy ways right and that takes a lot of time sometimes yes it does you know so we're getting close to the end of our time here. Is there anything you want to close out with? Wrap this, wrap this up, tie a bow on it? Yeah, no, totally. Well, the last thing that I wanted to propound upon is that, you know, 
getting started is the hardest part. I mean, I don't know how many people I've talked to out there, and maybe you're you're a person or a couple, and you've gone back and forth, and like we just mentioned before, it's not really one or the other person's fault, but you're stuck in this dysfunctional cycle of behavior, which can become aggressive sometimes or emotionally abusive both ways. Well, you know what? We welcome people like that at our 12-step meeting. And chances are you're impacted by trauma, family of origin issues as a, as a young child. And we can come to grips with that together and through collective experience and healing. So don't, don't uh, rip yourself off. I don't know how else to say it. We, we miss it by, by six inches. We know it in our head but we don't translate it into our hearts. And that's what we practice in our meetings is, is the language of the heart. And that's where the healing comes. So, yeah. Definitely. And um, you can also check out some resources on our website, familyafterwards.com. Um, and join us next time. We're going to be going over overcoming all of these different issues. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Nick.